Hi, thanks for coming today. Um, are there any trends within, within the black community, such as higher crime rates or higher illegitimacy, illegitimacy rates that could explain their position vis-a-vis whites? And can those be explained by some dominant social group? No. No to the first one or the no second to one? No to, to both. both. See, there's no. I mean, it, 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 it's, there's a propagandistic mechanism that's afloat about, you know, black illegitimacy and black criminality. Um, I guess it depends on what kind of crime you have in mind. Uh, if we think about which community in the United States has the highest degree of history of violence, that's unquestionably white Americans. Unquestionably. I mean, I'm not sure if you're aware of the hundred massacres that were conducted between the end of the Civil War and World War II that were directed against black communities throughout the United States, in which thousands of blacks were killed and the white terrorists appropriated black-owned property. So there, there's no segment of the population that has a greater history of violence than white Americans. So when you talk about these kinds of matters to me, you're actually mouthing a set of propagandistic claims that are made on the right in the United States, and they do not have a foundation in fact. All right, so. Sorry. family. Happy Sunday. Happy Pride. And welcome to another episode of the Hung Up Podcast, a Philly-based culture and society podcast from a Black-ass queer perspective. I am the host and producer of this podcast. My name is Eric Cole, aka Life Coach Eric, BKA Tennis Bay. If you're not already following Hung Up Podcast, you can find the show on any podcast platform and social media platform by searching at Hung Up Pod. That's H-U-N-G-U-P. P.O.D. Tap that bio link to access the Hung Up Podcast merch store and past episodes. Send your episode feedback, thoughts, and prayers to hunguppod at gmail.com or just tap contact on the Instagram page. First, I just want to acknowledge and just say a word for Allegra, Allegra Gleam passed uh, this week. Allegra is someone that I used to work with and was in kind of like a work circle. It's one of those situations where the job is just so awful that you really have to lean on each other at work and outside of work. And so we just became a friend group, myself, Allegra, Terrence and Roger and we've done a lot of fun stuff together, traveled together. And um, Allegra recently won her battle with cancer. And I say one because she is no longer suffering, no more chemo, um, no more pain. Um, Allegra is resting. And I especially wanted to say a word and really just put myself in a vulnerable space here for a second. Because one of the things that really hurt me hearing that 
Allie had passed was that for a while now, I've been saying to myself, and I even mentioned it to her a few times, I want to come see you. I want to come see you. I want to spend some time with you. I want to come see you. And I never made it out to see her. And also there's something there for me to work on. Like, I know I, I have a hard time dealing with seeing people not how they used to be. Kirby was uh, a good friend of mine when I first moved to Philly back in the early 2000s. And he had gotten real sick and he just wasn't himself at all when he had passed. I couldn't even go up to the casket, y'all. I admit that there's been a struggle, like for a lot of us, for me to deal with and process, especially when it comes to people that I love and care about. But I am learning as I get older and a little more seasoned in this game <laughs> and understanding that death is not the end it's the beginning and also understanding that death is a part of this process it's a part of the process that we all will experience at some point it's inevitable N- nobody we can't escape it so it's to me you know that is just a message to it's something to embrace not to be afraid of a lot of times we, we keep saying to ourselves and to other people, particularly people we love and care about, I'm going to see you. We're going we're gonna to do it. We're going we're gonna to plan that date. I'm going to come and see you. I'm going to spend some time with you. As humans, we are so, <laughs> by nature, arrogant in, in a way of thinking that we always have more time. We really think and we live and have convinced ourselves that we have more time another day to do what we said we wanted to do and the reality of the situation that that's not always the case and life is funny in a way that it'll do some so it'll pull some shit on you that you were not you weren't expecting and sometimes we are expecting it so let this be a reminder because some of y'all listening right now have promised things to people haven't set that date or even promised something to yourself haven't set that date for yourself to do something for yourself. It's not always about other people. It's, it's sometimes it's also about pouring into yourself and keeping those promises to yourself. Let this be a reminder. Okay. I'm hung up. <laughs> so the Legiba de Croix video has gone viral again. And so if you've seen it or somebody has reposted it, it's probably from me. Hunger pot. <laughs> but no, nah, apparently this video is old. Like it was posted um, a year or so ago. But hey, just in time for Pride. Folks are in the comments demanding a remix. So anybody listening who like that's your field, that's what you do. Give the people a song. Give us a dope remix with a with a beat. Um. <laughs> the video's on my page. You can find it in the real section. So, happy Pride. One of the big things for me that I took away from this weekend is we need to do more nurturing and pouring into the community. And I really got this message from Billy Porter. Billy Porter was here to celebrate Pride. Shout out to Philly Black Pride and the amazing Jason Bowman. I appreciate both of y'all because they sent me. I won like a raffle 
and um it was a really good night y'all i kind of unexpected because billy really took us back to who he was back in the day in the 90s and this it was given like a r&b brian mcknight vibe <laughs> this was a performance billy performed for like three hours like billy the show didn't end until well after 11 o'clock billy let us out into north philly <laughs> past 11 o'clock but we, it was cool it was cool but billy talked to us about pouring back into the community and you know honestly this it was just a great performance billy being 53 i feel like this is the tour of his life um he is it, i feel like he's going back to the 90s to do not to back to the 90s but i feel like he's tapping back into that artist and that performer and now that he's a little bit more seasoned, a little bit more experienced, and now living his life out loud, which he talked about, um, you know, it, he had a lot of pressure. I mean, it, the, the label was homophobic. The industry was hella hom homophobic at that time. Still is. But he's now doing it and letting the people know, you know what? I still got it. Billy looked great. I appreciate it. You know, fashion. He's going to give fashion, which I think is also the name of his new single that is out right now billy can really sing y'all billy billy can really sing um thank you for blessing philly billy honestly billy could have been this generation's james brown or rick james billy didn't really get to live out his career back in the day like he wanted to but he is now and it was just so beautiful to see billy embodying that and living out <laughs> billy kept going it was a three hour performance billy just kept singing <laughs> but billy talked about that too like that just that pouring back in and that, and that was for me the biggest takeaway for pride is you know because even look at twitter and look at these online debates we spend so much time um trying to teach trying to educate and that learning and development is um, is needed in the culture. And we have the right people to do that. But I'm particularly talking about the arguments and the going back and forth with people that just really refuse to listen and have no desire or will to learn or listen to anything that's already outside of their frame of thinking or thought. I think we exhaust ourselves mentally and physically, those conversations. And if you're not directly involved in them, you're exhausted from seeing them. And so since we have spent a lot of time doing that, those resources are there uh, for those that will indulge. I think we have to sometimes dial back and remember to pour into ourselves and pour into our community. We fight in so much on the outside when there's so much nurturing, so much love that needs to be um, experienced on the inside, so much healing that needs to be experienced on the inside. So we can't forget about that. The fight is still important. And listen, black scholars have written about this. I found this article online, Racism as a Distraction. And I believe her name is Manata Forna writes about Toni Morrison. That's the name of the article. And the article opens up immediately and says the function, the very serious function of racism is distraction. It keeps you from doing your work. It keeps you explaining over and over again your reason for being. Somebody says... You have no language and you spend 20 years proving that you do. Somebody says your head isn't shaped properly. So you have scientists working on the fact that it is. Somebody says you have no art. 
So you dredge that up. Somebody says you have no kingdoms. So you dredge that up. None of this is necessary. There will always be one more thing. They will continue to move the goalposts every single time. And that is the point. It is a distraction. So continue to do the work, y'all. Continue to do the work. And also allow, you know, acknowledge the people in the community who are, listen, some some of us are going to be out here on the on the ground. Some of us are going to be door to door in the community. Some of us are going to be doing the work at home. Some of us are going to be doing the work in the corporate office. Some of us are going to be doing the work via email, via podcasting, via journalism. We all have room here. This is space for everyone at the table to do their part. I'm hung up. Okay, enough of me running my goddamn mouth. Let's get into this interview. Lolo, aka Lolo the God, is dialing into this episode. Lolo is um an alternative R&B pop artist from Atlanta. He actually, he has a really interesting genre of music that he's really kind of paving for himself. And see, I love that about interviewing indie artists and upcoming artists on this platform is to see our black artists kind of flourish in all these different genres of music and know that there's so much talent out here. We are certainly not a monolith that we can create and exist in so many ways. And there are more ways yet to be discovered. I'll be sure to put Lolo's contact information in the episode notes. Hope y'all enjoy the interview. Hey, what's up, Hunger family? I am here tonight with artists. Lolo, Lolo, welcome Hi. to the Hunger Podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Look, we appreciate you for dialing in. Lolo is a black. Well, he liked it. He's, you know, Hunger family. He's really creating his own lane, his own genre, um, and he coined that headphone music. But for the sake of the conversation, Lolo is a um, an artist uh, from the R and B alternative pop genre. Um, hailing from Atlanta, uh, Lolo hasn't been impacting the music scene for the past few years. For, like I said, forging his own path and creating a name and brand for himself. His album, Taurus, is out now, streaming now on all music platforms. And so tonight we have Lolo dialing in to talk about and promote his album, Taurus, and particularly his song, Delusions, which you all will get to hear a snippet of in a moment. And also get to hear Lolo talk about the inspiration behind that song. So, again, my brother, welcome to the Hunger Podcast. Introduce yourself and let the listeners know where they can find you on social media. All right. So, again, thank you for having me. My name is Lolo. You can find me on all social platforms. That's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, under Lolo the God, all one. And the is an A because someone else took my E. So it is Lolo, T-H-A, God. And that's an at at all social media addresses. So look, Hunger Family, y'all know we got to, you go to Lolo the with the A first, follow, and then find the one with the E and go ahead and report the account. All right. Let's let's do one for the community. (laughs) (laughs) No, let's not do that. Let's not spread no hate. Okay, okay, okay. All right, cool, cool. 
<laughs> nah. Again, thanks for dialing in. Um, I want to give a quick shout out to Miss Bianca, um, who is the CEO and founder of Vision Oasis Entertainment. She emailed me and reached out to me um, to uh, put this interview together with you. So I just wanted to say thank you to her. Yes, thank you, Bianca of Vision Oasis Entertainment. Uh, she's my manager, and she is definitely a huge um, step in moving forward as an indie artist. So I really have to give her her props and thanks for that. Who is Lolo? Tell us what you want the listeners to know. All right. So it's actually a pretty easy but complex story. Um, I started making music about five years ago, but I've always sang, but never really took it that serious. Back in my early 20s, I was just like trying to do stuff like write jingles and try to get on that way, but you weren't making a lot of money. So I went to college, you know, did the regular American way, as they would call it. Um, but about six years ago, I lost my dad. And it ended up sending me into a really, really bad uh, space for myself. So I entered, you know, a serious bout of depression. And my usual things that made me happy, like going to the park, going to the beach, uh, being with my family, they weren't working anymore. So I started writing in my journals again, like I did as a kid. Didn't really work out for me either, but I started noticing that I was singing a lot more. They were just a lot more sad songs, but I said, you know what, let me go ahead and put this out and let's see where it goes. So I went to the studio for, for the first time in like 12 years, I had touched the studio, felt like a virgin all over again. I was terrified. And I started recording with um, Waheed at DRS. Um, studios that's in Roswell, Georgia. And he was, he's been my producer since. So we started recording one song led to another, led to another. And I started noticing I was feeling better and better. But the person I was becoming while I was recording wasn't the same person I was that had begun. So that depression, that cycle that I had hit, honestly created a new person for myself. And that's where Lolo has stemmed from. Recording that first album, um, Dysthymia. Well, it's a mixtape or EP. And that's where, you know, Lolo, me, was really born at that point. I can't say that he was necessarily there before then, but I know for a fact he's been there ever since. So that's the origin of who I am now. Wow, that's powerful. And I can only imagine the emotion that went into that first project um, coming from everywhere and everything that you had gone through because... I will say, I especially, I, I connect with you on that experience of losing a parent. I, I lost my dad um, a few, two years ago, and you said it sent you into a bad space, and I relate to that too. Yeah, it never, it never goes away, mind you. So <sighs> it's kind of something where people Talk always say, it. oh, just give it time, it'll heal. <sighs> no, you kind of establish a new normal around this black hole that you have now. So... Yeah. You still have it, and every now and then it hits you, you know. People always think, oh, it's the holiday. That's when it hit. No, it's a regular damn Tuesday mm -hmm. in April that I'm just sitting here, and I'm like, oh, I wish I could have called him, or yeah. I wish I could show him my progress where I am, or, you know, even just have a parent that you can take care of in the latter years. You know, those core moments that you have moving forward, you begin to realize that you're kind of robbed of those, so putting emotion into these tracks and going to therapy. I'm a huge advocate yes. for therapy and going mm -hmm. to that and really diagnosing where, you 
you know, your triggers are and your threads, as my uh, therapist calls them, where everything is intertwined, let you know, like, okay, well, the pain originated here so we can actually heal. Especially being, you know, Black, we have a lot of generational, you know, trauma that we don't Mm -hmm. necessarily deal with. But losing a parent, it's like there's nothing that can really prepare you for a loss that's tremendous. So, yeah, yeah, the amount of feelings that I poured into my first EP, it was mainly based off of the lyric because everything vocally is simplistic. I didn't really do much. But I tried to really write down my feelings. I have a song called Wrong Side. It's about suicide. Um, I have a song about gold, which is literally hypersexualization. People don't realize when you're going through I depression, like sometimes you you focus more on the physical than the mental that you're getting from other people. So you kind of yeah. find value in that. So you start to you know got those kind of find all kind of ways to yeah all kind of different ways to find pleasure in moments and times when we're hurting, and sometimes that is sexual and physical gratification. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's beautiful how you put that in the music. You you took a lot of this and your listen just listening to your story. A lot of this ultimately led you to the studio and allowed you to be in a space where you could pour into the music. And um, so let's go ahead. We're going to play a snippet from Delusions. Talk to us about the meaning behind the title of this track, Delusions. Okay, so (laughs) it's about to sound a little off, but I wrote Taurus after Dysthymia because I'm not in that same headspace anymore. So the entire album Taurus centers around stereotypes that people associate with Taurus, as well as the qualities that I possess being a Taurus. 
but kind of finding, you know, those who can kind of relate to me. So it kind of gives a broad umbrella for people to step into and to say, I'm this kind of person. I'm a Taurus. Um, when it came to delusions, it's about being judgmental. Um, I am a judgmental person, but not always in a negative way. Sometimes you want to be weary about the people that are around you. And you sometimes do have to pay attention to their actions a little bit more because what you may be getting in person is not necessarily who they are when they're in a different space, especially, you know, online and those kind of things. So delusions initially was delusional. And it was coming from a point of me saying, you say you're all of this stuff, but I've never seen it. Like, where's the proof of it all? And where is the, mm-hmm. you know, oh, you say you got this big house, but where is it? You say you got this car. I never see you driving it. And you tell me you're, you're a always king. around where's your throne? How is it that other people are getting this? Where is it? And you say you're a queen, but I have yet to right. see you put on that crown. So that's mm-hmm. where that song really, you know, stems from. It's coming from a judgmental place. But I could also be on the receiving end of that. I say I'm an artist and I say I sing, but where's my music? That's honestly another thing that pushed me into it. I'm so critical saying, oh, this person don't sound that good. Oh, I don't like their music, but where's my shit? So I can't sit out here and be doing that because someone is doing the same thing that I'm doing. So I'm on both sides of that coin. And so that's where delusions comes from. It's, It's a delusional thought for me. It's also a delusional thought from whoever else might be looking at me saying he blowing smoke out of his ass. He ain't real. So it happens. Okay. So would you, all right. So I'm, t- is the album an, an experience or when your manager sent me an email, she described it as a, di- a dynamic story of a tourist, who they are and what they bring to the table. And would you describe your, that album tourist as that is like a full story of who a Taurus is and delusions just happens to be one of those things. Correct. So the whole entire body of work is more so a crash course on the different aspects of being a Taurus. Um, of course, there's other things that I tend to think about because um, I'm still a human at the end of the day and Zodiacs aren't always the most accurate. So I do look at things like the Myers-Briggs, um, which kind of breaks down, you know, the kind of personality you might have as a personality type. And I kind of put those two things together and I created, like I said, like a guidebook of different emotions that range typically within the zodiac of Taurus. Uh, So I talk about things that are a little bit more vapid because we are vain at times. So I talk about, you know, being somebody who wants you're with me, like this is the best you'll ever get. <laughs> but I also talk about other things like perfection and how it's unobtainable and being a people pleaser and you just want to see people around you happy, but at the risk of you being unhappy. Um, or the fact that we still love our youth and that child in us is always there. And we're always dying to remain that person, but time just seems to be a tourist enemy. Um, every time we always feel like we're running out. So that's why I wrote songs like Time Flies and Perfect. And also tracks like Stubborn, which is, you already know, that's like the coin phrase when you hear towards like, oh, stubborn. And I'm like, yeah, but there's so many other things that we have besides stubborn. So that's why I said that's going to be a pop track. It's gonna Let's go ahead and get out of the way. It's track number two. 
Y'all can go ahead and have your moment, stubborn. And now we're gonna move on to the other things that we are. So that's why I said, okay, I'm a Taurus number one, and I'm stubborn. All right, y'all get to the rest of the tracks because we a lot more than that. So yeah, that's why this is like a crash course on learning your local Taurus. <laughs> See, I like that, and I mean everybody listening you need to listen to this album but i feel like especially the tourists out there like if you're a tourist <laughs> you need to like show come on up. if you are a tourist like come home come home come this on. Is like it. this is like a beacon you need to go ahead and listen to it yes. and give this to everyone you know and let them know you don't know who the hell you're dealing with so here you gotta listen to this shit make sure you go through tracks one through 15 you can skip around it's not in order but 100%, I feel like if you are a Taurus or if you're someone who knows the Taurus or you're with the Taurus, just glaze through the tracks. Just kind of, you know, mellow out and see what kind of reflects. I promise you there's a track for every aspect of this Taurus that's in your life. I 100% feel it. Mm. Speaking of which, I did like your, so your title track on the album is Taurus. It's the first track. And I wanted to tell you that... That song had me up dancing. I felt like I was in Havana somewhere, <laughs> Cuba, being watched by like a lover through like a crowd of people or something. And they were like just gazing at me. And it was just like, you know, just enough heat to where there was a little little bit of sweat on my neck. Like that song really puts you in a place in time. So I, I wanted to tell you, I liked Taurus. Um, and I liked Thank you. some of your 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 previous work as well. You mentioned it, Gold. I feel like your voice just floats like water on that track. <laughs> For real, I feel like I'm <laughs> driving down Thank the California coastline and my top is back. And I'm just, it's, it's a really feel-good kind of song. And then, I love that. Yeah, like you can go there and then you can go all the way to the other side. And you mentioned this song too, Wrong Side. That was another song that I felt like I connected with. Um, it came straight from your heart. The lyrics are very much where I think a lot of people are right now, struggling with different things, many things, um, trigger warning, thoughts and feelings of depression and suicide, feeling lonely. You said, I just want to feel good. And I'm like, yo, so many people can relate to that. And so I just I just wanted to tell you about um, some of the music that I, I appreciate it. I'm just getting started with your discography, but so far, those are the songs that I like. Well, thank you so much. I'm happy that, um, you know, Wrong Side is something that you enjoy because although um, it is about suicide, it's not necessarily about what people normally associate with suicide. Most people believe it means just, you know, unaliving yourself. And that's not necessarily the case. Um, to me, it was more so whatever is going to happen is going to happen. So I just kind of let way. No, I don't want to have fun. No, I don't want to enjoy myself. Honestly, I don't even want to be sad. I just, you know, I had no kind of feeling at all. I just wanted to feel something and that was good. But my idea of suicide was the fact that I'm just letting it go. If we get into a car accident, just let it happen. If we, if I fall off a bridge, let it happen. If I, it was to a point where it was, you want someone to care for you, but at the same time, the person I want to care for me is not here anymore. So whatever happens is going to happen. You, I was getting so tired. It just, it was an exhausting place to be in. 
And I couldn't mm. even feel bad for myself in that. The only thing I felt was nothingness. It just felt constantly like I wanted more, needed more, but I'm never going to get it. So that's what my idea of suicide was. I was letting myself rot. I was losing weight. I wasn't taking care of myself. I was recklessly staying up and focusing on negative things. It was a very, very uh, dark time to be in. So, yeah, I am happy that you appreciate that song because I do feel like a lot of people um, have felt that way. So that's why I try to be as direct as possible. I'm on the wrong side of suicide. I'm not on the positive side as though there is one, but I'm definitely not on the side that is looking very green. I'll say that much. So, yeah, man, I am happy that you resonated mm. with that song a little bit. Wow. I think, um, and you all listening, please go check that song out. It's called Wrong Side. Um, it really opens up this conversation about, I think you said it perfectly, it's, it's not always about that direct like wanting to unalive yourself, but it's mm-hmm. existing in all these other places that we don't really get to talk about a lot. And I just um, find that just uh, really just amazing <laughs> that you were able to find a way to talk about that, something that so many people struggle with finding the words to describe um, that feeling. And you were able to put that in the song. Wow. I just think that's so powerful. Thank you. Being an artist from Atlanta, I imagine that it comes with its benefits. And on the flip side, I'm sh- I'm wondering if it comes with any disadvantages, um, like anywhere mm-hmm. else, I would imagine, <laughs> a New York or a Philly where I'm at. So I wanted to <laughs> ask you um, two parts to this question. First, how, what would you say, how have you benefited from the c- creative community in Atlanta? All right. So um, this is actually going to be both the pro and the con. So having so many creatives around actually pushes you to be more creative. Um, You see more examples of what to do, maybe not what you will want to do or, you know, maybe not to do at all. You see so much and it just seems like it's constantly brewing. Um, You know, Atlanta is kind of in its little gentrification stage. And so we're losing a lot of those corners of Atlanta that were primarily for creatives and um, artistic expression. Nowadays, it's a little bit more confined and controlled to smaller areas. Um, but at starting here with my music really like opened up my eyes to look out because I've moved around a lot. I've been in Dallas, been in Houston, been in Colorado. I've been in Jersey. I've seen all these different ways that people interact with art. But Atlanta... It was just so black. <laughs> it was just like black mm. art. Yes. It was like people always say that cliche black excellence, but if you really want to experience black art in its entirety, you would have had to be here when it was at its prime for me, which was like 2010, 2011, 2012. Those were like the eye opening years for me in Atlanta. But at the same time, um, the disadvantage is having all those creatives. You start to feel like you're dropping a bucket and you don't really know how to identify yourself because you look at other people and you say, I don't want to be that kind of artist. I don't want to be someone that tries to replicate my favorite artist. And then 
you look out here and it's like 900 brandies or it's like 400 Whitney Houston's that's over here. You know, they powerhouse vocals. And so you start to compare yourself because there's so many. And you're like, I don't even know how to express myself without coming off like these other people. And then you have an image in your mind of there can only be one. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I look at other indie artists and I'm looking at them and I'm like, how is it that these celebrities are following you? They're, you know, looking at your music, they're sharing it with people, but we're both indie. I don't understand. And when you're not someone, you know, who has a lot of connections like these other indie artists in Atlanta, it can become very discouraging early on. So I would say the pros having a lot of creators around and that's also the con. So yes, one of it's it's a double-edged sword. Yeah. And with so many people who you're surrounded by who are pursuing the same or, or similar dreams, how does Lolo differentiate himself and stand out as an artist? Um, so it's a little bit different for me. Um, I'm not necessarily an introvert, but I'm not necessarily an extrovert. I'm an ambivert, so I'm a little bit of both. Mm. And I try to use my introvert skills the most, which is online. Um, I do a lot of things behind the scenes. It's very hard for me to post things online like other people. I'm not really an outgoing person online. In person, I'm very outgoing. I'm very direct and I get things done and I try to be very professional and I'm just all over the place. But online, I'm not as, I guess, um, prevalent as other artists. So my way of setting myself apart is doing things more so behind the scenes and networking that's not necessarily in front of you all the time. Um, that's how even getting this podcast or I did another podcast called Ride the Wave, which is an entirely different audience. I don't really confine myself to the general way of promoting yourself. I really do just send out my music like a firework and whoever likes it, they'll like it. And I don't try to rush things as an indie artist either. There are a lot of indie artists that feel like go, 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 put out a thousand mixtapes or they see an idea of their favorite, like I mentioned this earlier, which is it's no shade or anything. But if they have like a favorite artist, um, they'll just basically try to be them right off the bat. So they'll immediately go out there and they just perform at any place that has a microphone. And they're just like, let's go for it. Whereas with me, I do believe in taking my time and being selective about the things that I do. So when people actually get to experience Lolo for the first time in person, it's it's really a different experience than saying, I see him every day online. I feel like I know him as a friend. I more so want to be someone that it's like I got to experience him in person and I got to actually, you know, live out and live in his creativity as opposed to you seeing me every single day on your timeline posting <laughs> up something that honestly may not even benefit my music. It's just showing faith. So until people actually, you know, until I start to get out there a lot more right now, what sets me apart is forging a path, but taking my time with it i'm not going to let time force me to do something and i'm not going to lose quality over it. everything i do i try to make sure it has quality when i did my videos quality as an indie artist i want when people hear me or when they see me they're like that nigga got a budget <laughs> that nigga got a budget <laughs> and i want people to think that i want them to think i have a team behind me so that's what sets me apart i really 
really put a lot of money, <laughs> time, passion, and work into every single thing. And I'm doing it at my own pace. So I would probably say that's what kind of sets me apart as a creator. Not saying there ain't nobody else out there doing it, but I'm saying from what I've been around and what I've seen and what I've experienced a lot of, I can truly say that that has really set me apart from my contemporaries in the indie scene in Atlanta. Wow. And so as it sounds like you still consider yourself to be an indie artist, um, with that in mind, as you are growing and making more music, do you feel like you're starting to build a team or do you, or are you still doing a lot of, like you were saying before, you're doing a lot on your own? Um, so I know earlier, that's what I meant to say. I'm not with a label. Um, that's why I'm still an indie artist. So I have a manager now, um, which is Bianca. Um, my producer, who is Wahid of DRS and Roswell, um, he is not only my producer for all my music, but he's also the owner of Verde Music Group, who um, has control over my publishing. Now, I still own all my masters, but they handle the publishing side of things. So if you have to market the music, or, you know, things like that that require more contracts or legal matters, you go through the publishing company. But everything else I've done, I basically built it around, like I said, those relationships that I'm making that aren't so public. Um, I got to work with uh, Untraditional Films, for example, that's Timothy Richardson and uh, Lanika, I'm sorry, Laniqua, and um, that's his girlfriend or fiance, I believe that's his fiance. And um, they are the greatest people I've ever worked with in my life. But I just so happened to stumble across them when I was looking for a videographer. I saw he had did like a whole bunch of documentaries and they were gorgeous documentaries. And I was just like, wow, you know, but I saw that price tag and I was like, sheesh. <laughs> but I said, you know what? Let me go ahead and hit him up. Next thing you know, we start working together. You can ask them the amount of praise that I give them is endless. They are just, they're amazing. But I look at them as someone who I've built a relationship with now. I wouldn't say they're on my team, of course, but they are someone now who I would reach out to first they're part before of the I would reach out to anyone else. Exactly. Mm -hmm. They definitely have a home you. in my village, whether they vacation here or not. It's here. <laughs> and I have Drew Cullens of Cullen Studio in Savannah. He did all my photography work for the Taurus album. So, yeah, I'm trying to build up relationships to kind of create a village um, for myself. And eventually I'll have a team where, you know, I'll be not necessarily the center, but kind of close to it. <laughs> and, you know, I have a regular go-to where I'm like, okay, we got the funds. Let's keep going, going, going. So, yeah, I guess I would say um, that's kind of like my team, quote, unquote. This was dope. I really enjoyed talking with you, getting to know you hearing about your music um and i'm really i'm we're rooting for you i'm the hunk of podcast is rooting for you let us know what is next for lolo and what can what can we expect to see from lolo all right so i do have more uh videos that are going to be coming soon i am working on getting a live show together um that's going to be very interesting i can't wait to do that so people can look forward to seeing me live um, I have more music that's coming before the end of the year. And other than that, I'm going to try my best to be more aware 
and productive on social media. So hopefully y'all will get to see a lot more of the behind the scenes processes. Um, you know, even That's if you're another indie job. artist. You know, that's social media. It's a job. I'm over it, but I'm I'm still here. And I hope that even if it's one indie artist that looks like, wow, look how he did that. I'm going to do it. You know, just let me be just to start, even if you just want to look. And I'm all for answering questions or helping out other people if they want to know my process. But y'all are going to see a lot more of me by the end of this year. So just get ready for live shows, more music, more music videos. And where can people follow you on social media? At Lolo the God. That's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Make sure when you type in my name, you type in Lolo Taurus if you're searching up my music online. But it's Lolo the God. So it's L-O-L-O-T-H-A God on all social platforms. Hunger Family, you already know. I will be sure to put his contact information in the episode notes so you know where to find him thank you all again for listening thank you lolo for dialing in um everyone listening be sure to subscribe to the hunger podcast on all platforms by searching at hunger pod that's h-u-n-g-u-p-p-o-d i'll talk to y'all soon peace thank you